Hello and welcome to the Ocean Rowing Club podcast, where each week I will talk to a past ocean rower to get their unique view on the ocean rowing experience. My guest this week is Sophia D'Ambrosi. Hi, Sophia, please introduce yourself. Hi, Alex. Thank you for having me. My name is Sophia D'Ambrosi. I am 30 years old and I am originally from Uruguay. I rode across the Atlantic Ocean in December 2020, January 2021, as part of a team of four women, Sarah Hunt, uh, Lorna Carter, and Phoebe Wright, uh, who's also been your guest. And we did it as part of the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, so an organized race. It took us 46 days, 7 hours, 50 minutes, so just over 46 days. And yeah, it was amazing. We like to start with the big one. Why did you want to row across an ocean? Actually, it, it was it was a few years before uh, doing it that, that I came across it. But when I moved to Bristol in 2014, after finishing university, I joined the local rowing club, City of Bristol Rowing. And I found out there was a girl that had just left who left to go and prepare to row across the Pacific. And I figured, oh my God, that's that's insane. People row across oceans. Um, I didn't know. So to me, it brought together many things I love. So adventure, the ocean, obviously, uh, challenge, sport, teamwork. Um, it just seemed like something that I would end up doing. Um, once I knew about it, I couldn't unknow. And it was always going to be in the back of my mind. And it became a dream. And then, I mean, the timing was terrible. I was a recent graduate, had no money. Um, so a few years later, I got contacted by another group of girls that were planning a row across the Pacific. This is 2017. And I interviewed with them, uh, somebody like a friend of a friend, whatever, I ended up talking to them and I interviewed with them and I ended up not going for it. Um, it just wasn't the right team and, and the timing was still bad for me, but it kind of triggered that again. And I started thinking logistically how it could work. Um, and then in 2018, I, a few things happened. So I, I had a big kind of change in my life in a lot of aspects, um, like relationship. And then I changed job and, and partly career and I was in a much better place and the Atlantic campaigns team were in Bristol giving a talk about the row and they reached out to the club I was a trustee of the rowing club so I got this email um sent around to the whole club and and that's when I messaged Lorna and I said look these guys are here to do a talk I'm really interested I want to go do it come with me if anything can you just at least drive me there and then we can see but she was interested, like, I guess, from, from the go. And she was like, all right, let's, let's go see what they got to say. And we came out of um, that, that talk absolutely amazed, um, sat in the car for like half an hour, looking at each other, smiling, being like, oh, my God, this is happening. Um, and, yeah, and we decided 2020 because it gave us enough time to put together a team and start planning the planning. Um, I think getting started with the campaign is almost like the hardest part because you don't even know where to begin. So... Um, but yeah, that was the start of my, my dream kind of coming true. And, you know, a few years down the line, I'm now, I'm now an ocean rower, which is amazing. 
tell us the top three highlights of your crossing? Well, this is actually a really hard question and, and I get it asked a lot. But um, right for me, one of them was um, Boxing Day. Uh, we were rowing in the middle of the night and uh, no music, just talk, talking. Somehow Phoebe and I uh, had a second of silence. We both talk a lot. And we heard basically that the splash from a whale's blowhole. And we looked, we kind of like looked at each other and we're like, oh my God, did you hear that? And then we kind of waited, uh, see if we heard it again and we heard it. And then we started hearing it more and more. And then next thing we know, it's pitch black night, no moon. Um, next thing we know, we're kind of surrounded by orcas. Got no idea how many there were, like more, more than six for sure. But we couldn't see very much. But it's almost like the night with the night vision, you could uh, work out like the white uh, in the in their kind of bodies and and we could tell they were swimming around us we could see some of the dorsal fins then we called sarah and lorna to come out they were sleeping and then we all we started we stopped rowing and we could i mean we, we were watching them swim doing circles around the boat which was so cool yet a little bit uh <laughs> nerve-wracking because i guess orcas do that when they're either protecting their own or when they are about to punt so we weren't sure um, what they were thinking, but we could hear them communicate. It was really cool. We could hear them like, making sounds in the water. And that was really, really special. There was like a really weird connection of kind of us with them. And obviously we weren't presenting any danger. And I think there was always a part of us that were like, we, okay, we know we're safe. But at the same time, you like, you know, thinking back now, you've got to think, right, maybe one of them would have swum on the boat and snapped the rudder or you know things like that can happen so thank god none of that did and it was an amazing moment and then we we started rowing again thinking right let's just see what happens and a couple of them left and then a couple of them stayed and kind of swam next to us for a bit and then eventually they all dissipated but that was a really really cool special moment we we really tried to kind of capture some in cameras but really it was so dark couldn't see anything but you could you could hear us talking and you could actually hear some of the the whale sounds which is really really cool so another one and i mean it was uh it was it was an amazing and it was a highlight but it was also a bit anticlimactic but uh the finish line so it wasn't that i was super happy to finish thing there was a big part of me that was dreading finishing and after being on land for a little bit i uh yeah, I started questioning a lot and I wasn't that happy being on land. But at the same time, obviously, I was ecstatic. Um, anyone that watched us arrive um, <laughs> would have seen. I was just jumping around. I couldn't stop shouting. Um, smile, biggest smile ever. And yeah, it was this big sense of, well, huge sense of achievement. And it wasn't just the 47 days at sea. It was the whatever, 18 months of um, or almost two years of, you know, kind of, building a team and going through a lot of changes and, and training and fundraising and getting through COVID, um, COVID times, trying to get this project through. And yeah, I think um, a lot of it went through my mind when we crossed the finish line. And it was this huge, huge, yeah, sense of achievement, really. And pride, you know, I think we always, not to sound, uh, we set out to do it. And I think I never doubted that I could and that we could as a team. But Having done it, it's obviously proof to ourselves. And I really wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. And I think as a team, we wanted to, one of our goals was to, you know, just make it to the other side, um, you know, just achieve it. 
And yeah, you get through, you cross the finish line and you ride across an ocean. It's pretty special. Um, and yeah, the third highlight for me, and this is difficult because very few people will be able to relate, I guess, but, and it's not going to sound like anything too special, but for me, I had one night, it was early January. It was, uh, around the day when we capsized, uh, we were facing kind of like really big, big swell. It was quite difficult to row two people up because you couldn't really coordinate. You had to kind of row around what the waves were doing. So we, we had a couple of stints of rowing just one person on. Um, and I was rowing on my own. I had the eight o'clock, 8 PM shift, well, watch and the girls were in the cabin and I was listening to some like Uruguayan rock and roll. And I had the sunset behind me or kind of like in the corner of my eye. And I had this moment of the, the penny dropped. Um, it hadn't for a while. Like we, we set off, we were excited. I was really kind of happy and excited. And then you start getting all these feelings, you know, and you have good days, bad days. And, but that, that shift was super special to me. All there was, and, and I mean, every day, but it's just ocean and sky and this beautiful, beautiful sunset, beautiful sky. And it's just us and this teeny tiny boat, super vulnerable, super, um, at the mercy, you know, the ocean is kind of, the ocean's kind of always trying to, to kill you, I guess is the way to put it. But, um, you know, the, the ocean is always threatening you and always testing you. And so you've got to really respect it and love it. And I just felt this huge, I don't know, it was just a really, really powerful feeling. And I don't know, I'm quite a spiritual person. So I guess it was just this huge connection with nature. And, and again, the, the penny, did kind of drop there that I was like, Oh my God, I am in mid ocean in this boat that has no sails and no engine. Like we just got to drift or, or muscle it. So yeah, I felt very alive and I felt very, very happy to be there and very uh, peaceful. I was just right where I needed to be. And I've, I've moved a lot over the years and I've changed like jobs and I've changed, I guess, like sports and stuff. And, it's weird because it's almost like everywhere is home and, and loads of things that I do I love, but there's very few times where I've actually felt this is the exact place where I need to be right now. And I had that moment there and then where I knew that was exactly where I needed to be. And again, that's going to sound very airy fairy to some people, but it was super special to me. What was the hardest part physically and what was the hardest part mentally? Right. So to be honest, I think they're quite linked for me. Um, this is definitely a much harder mental challenge than it is physically. But in my case, I had a really, really bad Achilles, like tendonitis about maybe three weeks in. And it got to the point that Rowan was so painful, just so, so painful. And I mean, I kept going and like I still wrote, the girls were aware, like we, we had this kind of open, openness policy, I guess, or we tried to, and we were like, right, just got to air out, you know, what was happening. And I, and I did mention it and my heels started hurting, you know, the, the, my, my Achilles heel was hurting quite a lot. Um, but I tried to kind of massage it and try to recover. Um, I don't really like taking painkillers because I don't like kind of masking the pain because again, if something bad's going to happen, I don't want it like masked. So I was just trying to row through the pain, but yeah, it got to points where I would, it was really, really hard to put a lot of pressure down. So 
I think it became really hard. Like physically, yeah, I was in pain, but it, that wasn't really the problem for me. I was really worried. And mentally, the challenge was that I was scared I wouldn't be able to row. And I was scared that this was going to be a, a deeper and, and worse injury and that it would stop me from being able to actually row properly and complete the the crossing. So, yeah, I, I was I was pretty gutted. Uh, with that eventually like this this lasted a solid kind of two weeks it was really really bad pain for for quite a long time and then eventually started getting better and better it was I mean when we finished it was wasn't in pain but the pain never actually stopped me rowing but that was I think mentally for me I just couldn't get uh like you know it gets to a point that you can't keep going if you have like a genuine injury and you're not able um then obviously that would have that would have really devastated me mentally. And like, you don't want to be the kind, like, you don't want to be in that boat and not be able to row. If you don't add, you absorb, right? So like in, in, in any boat in general, if you don't add, then you absorb. If you're not a positive and you're adding value, then you're basically taking away. So I did not want to be dead weight, um, especially in a row where your main job is to uh, row and stay alive. So uh yeah, that was that was pretty challenging for me. Excluding people and pets, which three things did you miss most while you were at sea? Well, yeah, of course, other than people, I think our conversation circled around some main topics. A lot of them were food, uh, obviously people, boys. We talked about, like, I guess, partners and relationships and stuff like that a lot. And um, I think... I mean, I miss being dry. Like last dust, definitely top. Um, you're never really dry on that boat. Like it is just impossible. So no matter how much you try and dry out uh, in the air, or, you know, we would like stand naked into the wind to try and like dry out our kind of bum cheeks and the back of our legs to heal any kind of sores we had. And it was still, I mean, the air is so humid. You're in mid-ocean. You're never going to be 100% dry. So I think I really missed like dry clothes. I would uh, like rinse my shorts or rinse my, like, I rode in a bikini a lot of the time or like bikini bottoms, but that, you know, just nothing you're putting on has really dried out. Or you go into the cabin to get dry and like go for a nap and the clothes out there that are meant to be dry aren't. So um, yeah, definitely that. Oh, it's weird. Um, I miss walking. Um, I'm quite an active person and obviously we were rowing all day. So you're moving a lot, but I, like, I love walking and I love hiking and cycling and, and just, I, I just missed that. I miss like being upright and being able to like move places in the fully upright position. So yeah. And then I really missed fresh vegetables. So big fan of broccoli, big fan of all the greens. And I really wanted like a really nice fresh salad with a lot of vegetables. Um, I really, really miss that. We talked a lot about that, you know, what we would have, but I just craved avocado so much and, and just generally like, yeah, fresh, fresh leafy vegetables. How much training did you do before the row? So we did a bunch of things. Our training looked very different, I guess, like from when we first started to when we took, you know, closer to the row. 
So we, well, we did a bunch of things. So from a physical side, we started kind of each training in the gym. We engaged with um, like a good friend of ours that has a gym in Bristol, uh, Feel Fit. Um, Ellie helped us with putting together like some kind of individually or more more kind of uh, focused like training programs, like strength training programs, um, especially around the time uh, that COVID hit. We couldn't go anywhere. and We just couldn't really do anything. So we had these programs and we tried to do like Zoom workouts and try to do as much like strength as we could with whatever little bit of equipment we had at home and just body weight stuff. That was, I mean, it was important because it was important for that conditioning. And I think obviously mobility and flexibility are really important aspects of it. We did a couple of 24 hour rows on rowing machines uh, on land. And that was good preparation for, I guess, mentally understanding what that entailed, like how sleep deprived you're going to be or how much you were going to struggle sleeping. Um, And this was quite early on. We, once we got the boat, we was only like, end of June, uh, 2020, we did all our kind of water training. We did a little bit in Bristol to, um, while we weren't allowed to actually go out from the marina because of COVID. And then we took the boat down to Exmouth and we did, I guess, as many weekends as we could go out, um, in Exmouth. We, we did that row. We also got invited to, to do a row around the Isle of Skye. Um, that was really cool. That was good training. Again, it was a lot of I guess it was training for the team as well. We spent like 18 hours in a car driving the boat up to Scotland. And then, uh, you know, there were days that we couldn't do that much rowing because it was pretty bad weather. But we did do a fair bit. We practiced some of the drills. Um, it was useful to be in those conditions, even though they didn't quite mirror what the Atlanta was going to be. Uh, it was good to be in bad conditions and see kind of how we would respond. And for me personally, it was really strong because I... I, w- I did a terrible job of being a skipper up in Sky. I had a terrible problem with delegation. I was being really difficult to approach. Yeah, and I, I think I I learned a lot from myself up in Sky. I got a lot of feedback from the girls uh, on things that I was maybe saying or doing wrong, and and it was a really good learning opportunity for me. So other than the actual kind of rowing, which was obviously also good, it was good training for the team in terms of kind of how we communicate and how we deal with having to tell someone <laughs> that you're not happy. So, yeah, so we did the physical part in the gym. Probably, or like if we did it again, I think – a lot of people say, oh, you know, go and do like every day, do like two hours on the on the ergo, get used to the movement. And yeah, I think it's important to do a lot of ergo time. But I also, I don't think there is currently a, well, that I know of, um, it's not, it's not a very evolved or standardized like sport enough for people to know really exactly how to effectively train for it. And I, and I personally think it's very different depending on who you are. Like for men and women, rowing training is different, like just for general competition. And I would imagine, you know, for endurance sports, um, it also is. There's a reason why there isn't like a go-to precise exact program when people train for like triathlons or when people train for a lot of endurance sports. Like it has to be tailored to to your own, yeah, to the athlete. So maybe we could have done with a little bit more, maybe like rowing machine time. I think we could have all done with putting on more muscle mass. So if we did it again, I think that's probably one thing we would focus on. 
like weight training and strength training earlier on and heavier stuff to actually build more muscle mass. And yeah, we spent a lot of time on the water. I think it's difficult to say whether it was enough or not. I, when we got to the start line, I felt ready and we had this conversation and I think we all thought we were ready and we did not have a doubt that we were, we were prepared mentally and physically to do it. And mentally we worked with, um, high performance development. So they're, a, they're a pretty awesome team and they, they work with like people like Ingram Grubby and, and with corporates and they helped us with like personality tests and understanding each other well and doing a lot of insight into who we are, how we communicate ourselves, the kind of things that almost like the red buttons, um, and the thing and our strengths, you know, so it was really important to kind of identify where our strengths lie and try and put those to use. So that was really, really valuable to us as well. And if we did it again, I think for any team, we like you would, I would want to do something similar. And, and if, you know, maybe, maybe even work a little bit more on the, on the mental training aspect, because ultimately physically something that any, like anyone with like a, you know, you can train it, you can train people physically. It's, it's more difficult to train the mental aspect. And a lot of it has to come from like a background of, of having the right attitude towards it and the right commitment towards it. Did you suffer from any injuries, sores, nasties or sickness? So I got pretty seasick about two hours in, which I I was pretty gutted about, but also I I'd, I had got a little bit sick in one of our training rows. But before that, I'd never been sick on a boat. And so it was not that surprising, but very frustrating. But it only lasted like 24 hours. I just kind of kept going. Same routine, no change. If I was feeling sick, I'd throw up and then drink a bunch of water um, and then as soon as I finished rowing, just like try and eat to recover because I knew I was going to throw it up anyway, but it's better to have replenished that and then throw up than just to like keep throwing up your bile. So it did affect me with, I guess, some of the food, like we had some dehydrated pasta, which on land was okay. But after I, I, I ate that thing the first day, one of the first meals and yeah, I, uh, I was sick on, on it and I just could not tolerate it at all but yeah luckily my my seasickness kind of wore off like about well by the next day really then I'm well I mentioned the Achilles heel that was quite painful but again it's just you just got power like I for me the way forward is to power through um so again that worked for me I'm not saying everyone should do it and that's definitely not day-to-day advice but yeah other than that luckily not that much um, my skin on the back of my legs got got quite bad but we were helping each other with it as well so like I was like rubbing surgical spirit or like rubbing alcohol on it um after a shift and you know we had this like <clears throat> creams that were helping it dry out um Lorna and I were quite good at keeping <laughs> checking on each other so I'd come out of the cabin and like while she was still rowing like she'd just do a quick check um on my legs before I got on like like you know once a day once because you, you're consistently monitoring. You don't want it to get too bad or you don't want it to like start getting infected or anything. So it was something that we only got sore. We wanted to keep an eye on. Can you think of three songs which remind you of your row? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, there's actually quite a few, but somehow, well, we had a, we had a few really friends that made a couple of or shared like really good playlists with us that had like 
thousands of songs in them. But somehow there's a few songs that ended up in our in our playlist, like more than once. They were in all our playlists. So right, so I'd say Thinking About You by Sister Sledge. We I don't know, I think it was Phoebe had that in our playlist at the beginning and then I also did, but that just came up two or three times a day and it's a very catchy song or at least it was for us so we were think singing that pretty much every day yeah that was quite funny um I I did quite like it but I think it after you know the second week or the third week um some of the girls got a bit (laughs) tired of it uh but yeah Phoebe and I loved it and then what else um right one day more from uh Les Mis Phoebe and I started learning uh trying to remember or like listening to to songs over and over and trying to learn the lyrics and then we learned the lyrics to one day more and then we all kind of assigned ourselves characters and in our shift we would practice uh the song so (laughs) now yeah every day we'll be like oh wait you know one one day more rowing or one more day out at sea and then that kind of triggered the whole learning the lyrics to One Day More, which, uh, yeah, we loved. It was quite fun. For me, also, Higher Love from Kygo. Um, it's, I guess it's one of my favorite songs for training in general. So I use that again a lot and I, it, that related a lot to rowing. But I have it in all of my playlists. It's also in my liked songs on Spotify. And, yeah, again, for me, it's a very catchy song. So I <laughs> sang that a lot, I think. Sarah hated me <laughs> for it, but um, bless, she's so nice. She didn't say anything. She just um, sometimes I could tell. So um, yeah, Higher Love by Cairo too. And then when we were closer to the Caribbean, we just thought we'd get a little bit in the Caribbean mood. And I really liked uh, Murder She Wrote. So yeah, it was in one of our playlists was more kind of like island songs or Caribbean songs and. Yeah, as we were playing, getting close to the Caribbean, I just thought, all right, we've got to get in the mood. So we sang that a lot. Really liked that as well. Had a little dance on the boat. Um, so yeah, that, that song definitely reminds me of, of the row a lot. Did you suffer from any post-adventure blues? So I had a little bit of a breakdown after I got back to land. So when I, we got to Antigua and I wasn't there for very long. I was there for like a week. And then I went to Uruguay to see my family and there was a lot of hype back home about it. So I did a couple of interviews and, you know, chatted to loads of people about it. So it's almost like this was still alive and, and I was excited to talk about it, but it was also very hard to kind of think about moving on because I was kind of stuck in this limbo. I loved being at sea and I think I go back to land and I was very underwhelmed with what was waiting for me in terms of like I had been preparing for this or I had my purpose had been this row for like two years. And before that, I used to row a lot and train a lot and I always did like rowing competitions and uh, I was really focused on my career. And then I came to land and I realized that it wasn't necessarily at the time what I really wanted to do. Or it wasn't, I guess, fulfilling me. And I just had a bit of a breakdown and I knew something had to change. But uh, in true Sophia fashion, um, I'm a pretty extreme person. And instead of making small changes, I literally just quit my life. I'd already sold a lot of my stuff and my furniture and stuff, but I sold most of my things. Literally kept like my bike and 
like some sports kit in Bristol, quit my job and I left and I went to Spain. I had some friends working as skippers on, on small sailing boats and and they were like, just come out here, we'll figure it out. And I worked a little bit with them and then I decided that I wanted to just, like I loved it. I loved being at sea and I loved boats and I then went on to work on a bigger sailing boat and never looked back. Then I met someone and he's now one of my best friends, but he invited me to do a, a, a crossing of the Atlantic, but sailing. And uh, so I went essentially as crew and it was one of the most amazing experiences, but yeah, it kind of, the row was the trigger. I think like I, it'll be very big to say that it was the only reason I, there was, there was definitely something that it was in my mind already, you know, that my lifestyle or my, the choices I'd made weren't 100% making me happy. But the row was probably a trigger to say, right, you know, I am going to do something about it um, and just jump ship. Um, and I did. And I am I am better off for it. But there is a lot of up and ups and downs. And I had really low lows. Like as soon as I came back, I was pretty depressed. Um, I got like diagnosed with anxiety and depression. I've always been a very anxious person. Um, but like kind of getting diagnosed with d- depression was for me, like I like to think I'm always like a very happy and chirpy person and smiley and stuff. And it, yeah, I felt very, very low and there was something definitely wrong with it. So it was good to make those changes and try and find something else that did make me happy. It was quite difficult because I was trying to explain and, and like to people and, and not really finding the words. And, and one of the main things that I struggled with that was having done something so big, loads of people were asking, oh, you know, what's next? And, and I didn't know. And I hated not having the answer. So getting comfortable with not knowing uh, took me a while. Realizing that I don't really owe anyone any explanations. So there's a lot of things I want to do. And I've said in interviews, like, I really want to cycle around South America. And I really want to I want to go across Europe in a bike. And I, there's a lot of places in the world that I want to visit. So there are things that I've got in my mind that I want to do. But after the row, it's almost like I felt this enormous pressure to have something else planned or to have something else lined up that I was already working on because like people couldn't really fathom that I just come back. And then I was like, right, I'm just going to figure out my life now. So that pressure, I think really, I don't know, it, it just, it, it, it put me down a lot. And I found it really hard that other people got back and they were just perfectly happy kind of going back to work and, you know, maybe carrying on with life. Like I, I spoken to rowers from previous years and they got back, got back to the job, uh, you know, got engaged, whatever, started planning a wedding and, you know, just back to normal life. And it baffled me that, you know, people could just carry on with a very normal life after having experienced something so amazing. So yeah, I just started thinking, oh, well, you know, what do I really want? It made me question my life and it made me question my choices and it really made me question what I really wanted to do. So, um, and I guess, you know, that also helped me with finding a different path. And I'm a, I'm a true believer that whatever path you're on is a path you're meant to be on. But I, you know, whatever decision you make, like essentially is leading you um, into the future that, you know, where you're meant to be and. Um, but yeah, I don't want to be putting the ladder up the wrong building, if that makes sense. So it is good 
even though like you might make a plan and it might not like the next day you might change it and like planning is still kind of good because it makes you feel like you're going somewhere but yeah like realizing that not having a not having a plan was okay uh took me took me a long time and now I was realizing that you know plans change and and like planning is great but plans change and not having one that is said that you're really sticking to or you know it's also okay um I really struggle with so yeah that's where I am kind of now what advice do you have for future ocean rowers? Right. So I'd say, first of all, the most important thing is, is people. So whatever you're doing, like, remember always that the most important thing is, is people. So if you're doing it solo, the most important thing is you and your mental health and your health and getting yourself to a start line, getting yourself across uh, but not sacrificing like, you know, your own health and happiness and I guess well-being in the meantime. And if you're in a team, then looking after your team is is really, really important. Like you've got to just remember what the end goal is and the end goal is to row as a team. You're putting your life in someone else's hands all the time or well, every day, uh, every hour of every day uh, when you're out at sea and Obviously, when you're planning, it's a lot of work on the side of whatever you do for a living and whatever other things you've got going on in your life. So understanding that different people have different time commitments and different people have different idea of like what that commitment looks like, that's really important. Like I'm guilty for for sometimes not having that tolerance or not having that patience. And I'm a very kind of all or nothing or very, very, I guess, intense person and you know, sometimes I lost track of what was really important. So I'd say one of my biggest ones is is that like look after your people, look after your team, and look after yourself. And then, uh, yeah, you're looking after your skin is really important. So that could really actually make or break your your crossing because a bad skin infection could end your crossing, and you could have spent two years prepping and got the boat and everything, and then you know whatever a week in you're you're in bad shape. So, you know, as I said, like we all kind of struggled with um, getting sores and stuff, some more than others, but just making sure that you're being careful with what you're doing and, ha- you know, keeping the hygiene up and look after your buckets. That's uh, <laughs> quite a big one. Buckets uh, become quite important, especially when you've got a very limited supply of fresh water. It's difficult to otherwise improvise how you go to the toilet. So we had three buckets to start with. Uh, you know, once your toilet, one you wash with, and then once you're spare. And then I'm guilty here, but I lost the toilet bucket close to Christmas. I guess normally lanyarded, but you know, I was in a, I put it over the side, um, to get some water in it and I got caught by a wave and I lost it. Um, and then the second toilet bucket we lost when we capsized. So, we were down to one bucket and thank God, obviously that became the toilet and everything else had to be done with alternative methods. Like, so if you had to like wash yourself or clean yourself, we had this like bag that ended up doubling as a bucket. And then we otherwise would do it with bottled waters and, but it's not as efficient in terms of conserving water or, or yeah, using it effectively for like cleaning. So we started doing a lot of things over the side, which is a lot more dangerous and unstable and uncomfortable. So yeah, I'd say <laughs> look after your buckets, as silly as that might sound. So look after your people, look after your skin and look after your buckets. And yeah, just on the on the looking after your people, I think 
for me, I'm not like the most patient and tolerant person. I like to think I am more now, but I didn't do a very good job from the very beginning of leading the team well. And I like to think eventually I, I kind of got there and I, I made a lot of mistakes, but you know, we, we got to, we got to our goal and, and I like, you know, I'm happy with what we did, but obviously there's always room for learning, but I'd say like, like, you know, li- like just listen to each other because everyone, everyone is important. Everyone has a say and anyone who's there is because they want to be there. Like no one gets forced to row across the ocean. So if you've got someone that has the attitude and the commitment to say, right, I really want to row across the ocean, then like you've got to listen to what they've got to say. So yeah, everyone's role in the boat is really, really important. And finally, would you do it again? Yes, I would do it again. I probably would want to do a different ocean. So leave from a different city or own a different place. As much as everything is water, like all oceans are different and they present different challenges. And I'd love to do a row of the Pacific. I mean, I get why um, I loved it. I know a lot of people do it and they come off and they're like, right, that was great. But like that's done for me it like awoke this thing inside of me that I it was such a magical experience with I mean you have terrible days and you have times when you're sitting there and you're thinking why am I here like who sent me here like why did I spend so much time prepping for this I'm having a terrible time but I personally had a lot more days and a lot more moments that were great than the moments that were bad. And having done it now, what I took away was all great and was all positive. And I had this immense sense of achievement, like personally, because whatever, you're not trying to prove anything to anyone else. You just, for me, it's about proving it to myself and, and the experience, like the adventure, the challenge, you know, having to keep going day in, day out when you don't know how long it's going to take you. you. You more or less have a ballpark idea, but there are things like weather. Yeah, it's great to have a weather router or it's okay to be able to get weather uh, information, but you're going so slow that your ability to navigate around the weather is actually quite limited. Um, so if you can see something like three or five days in advance, great. And so you, whatever, you like run away from it, you go north, you go south, you like escape it. Or you slow down, but in a boat like that, where your man like maneuverability or your ability to, I guess, move away because of your speed is quite restricted. So you are at the mercy of the elements, and you are at the mercy of the ocean. That requires a lot of mental strength, and I I love the ocean, and I like testing myself. So yeah, it is something that I would like to to do again, or at least that's how I feel today and right now. A huge thank you to Sophia for sharing her story and all of her advice and for being so open and talking about the struggle she experienced after the row. It's such a huge thing to completely change your life around and it takes a lot of courage to talk about experiencing depression and anxiety. If you are an ocean rower and would like to share your story, please get in touch. Please, please get in touch. I am running out of guests and I would really love to continue this podcast through into 2023. So if you have rowed an ocean and are wondering whether I would like you as a guest, the answer is yes, yes, yes. So please either drop me an email to theoceanrowingclub at gmail.com or send me a DM on Instagram at theoceanrowingclub. I would love to have you as a guest. 
If you are enjoying the podcast, please tap those five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and like, share and recommend it to all of your friends. And don't forget to join us again next week when we take another solo trip across the Atlantic. Toodle pip!